Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street, and I'll be your host. I use explicit language, and topics of conversation are going to include ghosts and the paranormal and psychic ability. We also talk about truth here, and I'm an incest and rape survivor, and I take up space and acknowledge it. We talk about God, faith, uh, agnosticism, atheism, Christianity, Buddhism. That's my flavor. Um, let's see. Oh, a couple decades anyway. <laughs> let's see. Willful education, recovery, therapy, BDSM, kink, sex, autonomy, community, figuring out how to be happy right where you at. Hmm? <laughs> oh, are those some good things I talk? Oh, well, there's femicide, suicide, murder, um, mental health issues. Yeah. So if mental health stuff is kicking up for you and things are kind of hard right now, uh, please get yourself to a licensed board certified therapist, someone who can help you figure out uh, a path and give you some context clues. That is not me. Uh, I'm someone just sharing one case study, one person's perspective after about a decade of therapy and um, 20 years volunteering there, 25 years volunteering there, some observations, so some things that seem to work. Yeah. And sometimes things work. I know. Yeah. Hard to believe sometimes. Yeah. Or maybe very easy to believe if you're just going downstream and going with the flow. Sometimes it's real easy to believe. Yeah. Hey, if you don't got money for a therapist, uh, I've got a couple 1-800 numbers in my phone or in my notes. They may not be exactly what you're needing or that might just be you need to talk to a human being. Sometimes it's whether you like it or not. Yeah. Okay. A lot of hard stuff happened to me and my family in Walla Walla, Washington. And some of it for several years happened at the house on Valencia Street. The addition was that house was haunted as fuck. Okay. I've shared several of the stories so far in the past year and a half to two years I've been recording this. Uh, I'm really grateful to get it documented uh, because these things are kicking around in my family for so long. It's going to be documented and people are going to know about it. See, uh, one of the biggest goals I have here at the house on Valencia Street is to talk about paranormal activity and things that happen. And to quote Carl Sagan, as I've done a time or two before, uh, I've experienced things that science cannot explain. And that is why I believe in God. And that's Carl Sagan. Well, a character in Carl Sagan's book right in that way. And that's also my perspective. Um, I have a website called anchor.fm forward slash MoMA, M-O-H-M-A-H. And that's where you can find my podcast. Uh, you can download, look at the notes and donate. That'd be fantastic. Um, it's a bit, pretty much really basic. When I have 10 to 20 hours to dedicate to doing research and building that business up instead of 60 hours working to pay my rent, I will. <laughs> if my bills, and my, if I'm on board and my food's paid for and I got health insurance, all that stuff, the art I will create that's my son and amaze you. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so um, what what an opportunity. And what an opportunity to create art, even if it's kind of partial or imperfect or if it's got a couple flaws, you show up and you try. Hello. Or, you know, you show up and you do. Yeah, like that. Okay, we got a place to go find my stuff. We got uh, the counselor stuff. We got what the place is about. Oh, use your discernment. This may be what you're in for. A lot of these topics can trigger you, see? And so you got to figure out whether or not you're going to dive on in. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be leaning towards a healing or one way to possibly heal uh, the house on Valencia Street Zone. And then also, uh, I learned, I figured out the motivation behind somebody this week, I believe. And it took about 20, 30 years and the right voice at the right time to hear it. Okay. Actually, what I'll say is uh, one thing they talk about in 12 step after you've attended 20 years or so, you're going to hear a lot of phrases over and over again. Right. And um, 
I don't physically attend meetings, 12-step meetings these days, although I attend phone meetings, sometimes Zoom meetings. You hear the same phrases over and over again. And there's this weird thing that happens when you show up. Sometimes it's like you're, you might experience this in a church. Uh, you might experience in a conventional church. But you show up, you hear the words, you listen to the words, you sit there and go, those sound nice. I'm striving for that. And then you come back and you hear them again. And then a year or two later, you're still hearing them. And then you're going to hear some concepts because uh, I had a 12-step buddy of mine send me um, 250 12-step slogans because 12-step's got a lot of slogans, see? And they all have kind of a lot of compartment. In my perception, there's a lot of wisdom in each of those, um, a lot of them. Uh, some of them I don't agree with at all, but a lot of them keep me going. Yeah. <laughs> Let me give you an example this week. <laughs> I just got done with meditation, was getting the day going, and it was going to be working. And I went out to the mailbox to go get some mail. Uh, I live in an area that is conservative. Everybody around me, about 80% of the people around me voted for the former guy. That was tolerable before the pandemic and before some of the elections. And now after, dynamics have changed. A neighbor or two has changed. I've witnessed several of my neighbors when I do my walking out here have invested in ten and $20,000 mechanical gates and fences to insulate and to protect their property. Uh, some, a lot of these are people who have a lot of land, several acres who are farmers, or maybe just they want to have several acres to look out on something. I don't know. That was a, a sign I hadn't seen. Either that or there's a fencing contractor that had a real good sales technique and he sold, he, he set what, uh, one up for somebody and everybody said, I got to have me one of those. Although personally, those things went in after the pandemic that I saw the changes in the neighborhood. So this example that cultivated itself was, uh, I'd done my morning meditation and I was going down to the mailbox to just check the mail. And I'm walking down there and there's a neighbor I have, shower name Nameless, to protect their anonymity, who has a service dogs. And she's one of those that's an itty bitty little woman. He's a married couple. And they have bicycles and all kinds of things outside of their house. But she gets a service animal and then she keeps that service animal on a one foot long leash, you know, like you could let them wander around this and that. She's highly nervous. And so her animal is also extremely nervous. And so there's this little 90 pound woman out there walking. I've been watching this for several years, uh, walking this little dog up and down the street. And some, we talked once. We had a pretty intense conversation one time because talking about some of the neighbors who come down the way and leave dog poop on our private property and all that kind of crap because that's, you know, what neighbors talk about. Uh, we ended up talking, but um, she ends up, I've watched her over the years. She talks to about half the people down the line here where we live on this lane that we're on. She's a bit of a gossip. <laughs> so uh, she also doesn't talk. We have mutual neighbors we just refuse to talk to because they're kind of difficult to work with. And also uh, we're dealing with people all around me, surrounded by, by me. They, they voted for the former guy. So I got to get my mail and she's out there with a the dog. Well, her dog likes to bark a lot. And the first time I met him, I was like talking to him. Oh, yeah. And I volunteered at the Humane Society and we're talking this and that. And I said, oh, nice to meet your dog. And your dog's barking and pulling back and all skitterish. And she goes, oh, well, she's real nervous. And I said, okay. So I got down and I kneeled down and just kind of squatted down and put my hand out and looked at her and just talked to the mama of the dog. And the dog came over to me and started licking my hand. Okay. And then the owner was like surprised that the dog was doing that because that's not normally what the dog did. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't tell her. I've kind of got the Peter Pan thing with kids and animals. I don't know why I can, a lot of times it drawn me, but pretty much you just get down on their level and listen to them. That's what everybody wants, right? 
<laughs> I got along with the dog just fine. Well, go out, go in the mailbox, and the dog's just barking, 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 barking. And I just done my meditation. I was in a good mood. And so I look over to say hi, but she's doing that shitty neighbor thing where they turn their back and she's got like a hooded jacket on but she just refuses to talk to me or look at me you know like turned her back to me and it was like you know you talk to half the people on this lane you want to and i'm sitting there thinking i'm not ashamed she's just mean <laughs> check my mailbox start walking back and then instantly i just start kicking into the serenity prayer god Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Oh, and I just kept walking into my house, kind of singing a little song. And I got in the house, and I was like, I feel a lot better. Um, I was sitting there thinking I was able to just reach up and go, hey, God, I'm feeling kind of blue. But I did it out loud. So she knew I was praying out loud. <laughs> Because in my experience, if people are going to be snooty or have, you know, whatever issues and, you know, they like to talk to these people or those people and they like status and heterosexual couples and just, you know, that, that kind of bullshit that, you know, people do who voted for the former guy who I'm surrounded by. I just was sitting there going, if I hadn't meditated this morning, I don't know if I would have had the presence of mind to switch that around, turn that around. You know what I mean? And so that's my example of what daily meditation brought to me today was that I was going to my mailbox. I have kind of a crappy neighbor who has her dog out there and she cleans up after her dog but she's a kind of shitty neighbor that she was upset with people pooping on our lane with her dogs so she had two dogs she put up two signs she didn't sign them she didn't ask permission she just went out and hung two signs in front of my neighbor in my house but not in front of her house where the there was trees everywhere but she chose to put the signs in front of our house further <laughs> she misspelled the word poop <laughs> No, I don't want to be classist about anything, you know, but it's like, I'm sitting there going, I would not have hung this sign in front of my house on that tree because I would not misspell poop. That's that just wouldn't be happening there. Uh, so, um, I kept the damn sign, but I was like, they're going, I, I took it down when I don't need to look at this crap. I don't need us. I would not put up a sign that says don't poop on my yard. Cause I just wouldn't do that. But this little neighbor with the little dog on her yanking, yanking, yanking on that one foot leash. So anyway, I'm coming back and I'm thinking, I walked in the house and I was like, that person was kind of shunning me, you know, and she was doing that thing where she's obviously transferring so much aggression towards her dog and her dog has some behavioral issues, although she's not going to a, she's not going to a trainer. Nine times out of 10, it's the person, not the animal. In my experience over 25, at least two decades, a little bit longer for sure with the one humane society out here. So usually it's, you know, it's user error. Typically, it's a person navigating or in management. We need to give parental classes and also training classes to people who have animals, in my perception. Something that meditating every day can do for you is that when things go shitty or people are rude to you, you can look at them and go, wow, that's just contrast. And I, I'm going to pray now. And as one of my meditation teachers says, I want to be uncheatable, honorable. I want to be unfuckable. Uh, you know, it, it, well, she didn't say that, but it was like, when you get to a place where you're grounded and centered and you're paying attention to your heart and soul on a daily basis because it's valuable and you're connecting into whatever spiritual source you got, just like water off a duck's back, just like water off a duck's back. At least that's one perception. So there, there we are, meditation warrior today. Woohoo! You're welcome. All right, next up. Think about the house on Valencia Street. I've often pondered how to heal that place. There's people living there that seem to have been there a long time. And um, I'll go two, three years out of while while I come back and then... If I'm in Walla Walla and I've got a couple days, I will make a time to go wait until it's like a quiet time or nobody's around or whatever. And then I'll drive and I'll park about one or two houses down from that house. And I'll just park and I'll look at the house. And I'll just sit there and stare at it. 
<laughs> and then my belly will tremble and I'll be like, oh, the weird stuff, <laughs> you know, and then I'll just be kind of scared. I'll just look at it and think about things and what was happening, how it was such a, is it an inclination point or is it where um, a deflection, no, not a deflection point where two or three things just line up and then suddenly something happens that wouldn't have normally happened, but everything had to kind of get in the right place at the right time to make the thing pop. Right. So that's kind of what I look at that house and go, so many things were going on when I was in that house, you know, my family, you know, people that's dead now. And, and then I'll just kind of drive away and I'll be all jittery and shaky because I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that house, that house. I was just praying in meditation this morning. And I was thinking, how could I heal that? What's a way that I could heal that? And this is what came to me. Um, the university I went to had a couple groups for LGBTQ people like me, and I found a solace there. I was real grateful that the city I was living in, in Oregon, and the university I was attending had that, that resource back in the 80s and well, it was 90s, beginning of the 90s. They also had a women's center. And I went to that women's center for several different meetings, and I was involved with the women's studies group at that uh, university for a year or two. Um, I was thinking about how to heal that place and the house on Valencia Street, what that would look like. And after attending the Women's Center, you know, there were several roundtables. Uh, they might be akin to consciousness raising from the 70s with the feminist movement, where it was just people talking to each other, you know, and uh, sharing their experience, strength, and hope, or, you know, their truth. There was a lot of... Um, opportunity and creativity. And I was seeing something that I'd never quite seen before in Walla Walla when I was going to college and going to these meetings for the women's studies. And um, I was a publicity coordinator for a couple of protests. We got some national, uh, did we get national, we got state coverage from three or four te television stations. And I was the person who was uh, the publicity coordinator, but there were about six or seven of us managing this. And I was following along with someone else who was a leader in that group. The feeling of walking into that house, because it was an older house and it kind of had craftsman appeal. And I, I, craftsman houses are my favorite. And that's one of the places that I lived in an apartment building in um, my city when I was going to college that was craftsman with the hardwood floors and the built-ins, the weighted windows and the, the hardwood and the French doors and the glass doorknobs and oh, the bathtub that went on forever. You could dive and slide into that bathtub and stretch your whole body out. And this thing was as big as a small car, okay? And that's how they built them back then when they built this apartment building. My sister, uh, the French one, and her husband, uh, I don't want to name him. <laughs> her husband is a big, tall, good-looking white man. From, it comes from an inheritance. His, his mother was a real estate broker, is a real estate broker. She might still be. She sells million-dollar houses down in Southern Oregon along the city on I-5. He lost his brother when he was young. And because of that, this fellow stutters, who's the French one's husband. That being the case, they found love at that college uh, apartment house that I lived at that was a beautiful gem that was hidden amongst all the other normal stuff. Although there's a lot of historical houses in the, this neighborhood that I was living in. And actually, I know three or four couples from that house. That, that apartment building was blessed. It was this kind of, would it be craftsman style? The external wasn't, but the internal was. The external was brick. But um, I know three or four couples that are still together that met at that place. There was something magical about the place. I'd go take these long baths um, in, the, in, in the bathtubs, and I could sometimes, it felt like I was moving through worlds. I could feel like sometimes I was 
time traveling it felt like and it might be that it was just conjecture it might be something was shimmering because i was in an antique building with people who'd lived there many people who'd lived there before me you know when you walked into the women's building at this college there was just wood and painted walls and a high ceiling and little rooms and couches and it was inviting and warm it was a place that you could take a nap on the couch or you could get together with a study session or there were people doing work study work you know managing the phone you know that kind of stuff it was so amazing and there were all these people kind of coming together very a lot of diversity uh, sometimes you get the obnoxious one to take over the whole group and we didn't have the we didn't have the skills maybe yet to kind of shut that down in a graceful manner i've got them now and i'm not saying i do it in a graceful manner but i have the capacity to confront people in a public forum and, and ca cause them to be accountable in a neutral in a pretty neutral manner uh well as neutral as they can make it because typically there'll be three or four people in distress you know and of course here comes codependent enabler savior i'm going to confront you now uh, <laughs> i may not use those words but that building has so much newness to it there was lgbtq people there was women there was gay men you know and sometimes we'd have uh, clothing exchanges where they'd have a big old clothing exchange and then about 20 different people would bring all their old clothes they didn't want put them in a big pile in boxes and everybody sort through and go i want that i want that and we do it for free you know and there'd be 20 people there rummaging around the women's building you know doing this it was fantastic and i was thinking about that building and how much joy i had there and also when I wake up in the morning, I visualize a home. I want a craftsman style home. I want wood floors. I want built-ins. I want it to feel safe. Uh, I want a big backyard. And my backyard has been robbed of me because I have an inappropriate neighbor who has race, gender, and socioeconomic demographic. And he's mentally off. You know, everybody thinks he looks fine, but he's targeting some of us. and He's treating us differently when nobody's around. Um, I can't use my backyard anymore. I had to sacrifice that because I, I didn't want to be tormented by this guy. So I'm remembering what my backyard was like before this guy moved in. You know, uh, six years, uh, six or seven years I was here, and I'm visualizing this backyard. And maybe like in that show, The Last of Us, you know, that was recently on with that beautiful show, Long, Long Time, that's been getting so much critical acclaim. Maybe I'll grow strawberries in my backyard. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Anyway, when I'm thinking about healing the house on Valencia Street and bringing a new energy to it, I was just feeling like the, what we had at the women's building. You know, all those meetings that we had and the creation and the protesting and the taking risks and the romances that were starting. And, oh, I want to bring that energy to the house. I want to bring that energy and heal those old ghost bones. You know what I mean? <laughs> With that infusion of freedom, you know, that would be very threatening to a lot of different, um, no, how do I say this? Which would be unfairly silenced by several other demographics that had control and power dynamic stuff going on in a lot of ways. It brought me a lot of joy this morning in meditation, just thinking about healing that house, you know, or bringing something different and understanding, not denying what was there, but exploring it, opening it up, healing it, creating a shrine. I would love to create a shrine and meditate in that house on a regular basis if I could, you know, to kind of see if we could change the vibration or cause it to thrive or air out the old wounds, you know what I mean? Anyway, just cause them to heal. So um, I'm going to round this out with this realization that I hit this week uh, on Netflix. There's a new show. Well, there's about three or four new shows that I've I've been 
you sit there, you try six or seven of them and you're like, eh, eh, eh. and then one of them you start in and you go, I don't like this, the look of this in the beginning. And then some really risky things happen. For example, there's a series called Ginny and Georgia. I think it's Ginny and Georgia. Externally, I was sitting there going, oh, this is kind of a vamped up, kind of a trashy, you know, Gibson girls. Well, not, is it Gibson girls? Gilmore, Gilmore girls. Gibson girls is about a hundred years ago. Gilmore girls. <laughs> Although that was a pretty smart show. That dialogue on that show if you it takes some work uh, but there's a lot of real quick-witted great dialogue in that show and you have two female protagonists that are the, the lead on that show the gilmore girls Ginny and georgia there's some very risky things happening and bold choices going on and it's i i was captivated i was about half of the episode into it and i was like okay and then some things started to happen i was like that's check fraud that's her first time she's having sex that's you know oh my god that's what you know all these things um that were like and then i remember crying you know they displayed like the first time somebody had was having sex it was very inexperienced and it was as awkward and strange as it is you know because a lot of us know that our first time sexual experiences were not the best sexual experiences because we didn't know what we were doing and commonly we're going to be targeted by people that may see that we're young and vulnerable and naive and take advantage of that, you know? So sometimes those first time experiences are always, with sex are always like, what the hell? They're very fraught, right? So it's very rare that it's a kind, gentle place and that there's someone loving there and it's going to be consistent. You know, a lot of times it's, we have bodies and we'll share this moment, you know, as you're growing up, you know? So uh, there's a couple of different things I've, I've watched through, but one thing that's really been a satisfying, a really emotionally satisfying experience is the, the new documentary about Pamela Lee, uh, Pamela Lee, in her voice with her family telling her story. Yeah. Okay. Um, please watch that documentary, please. Um, while I may or may not be someone who'd hang out with Pamela Lee, you know, Pamela Lee was buddies with Courtney Love. Pamela Lee has been a long-term friend with Courtney Love, and Courtney Love is a big mixed bag of stuff. I mean, you know, she well, and I've I've thought about her in a lot of ways because she was drugged, she was harmed, and then she was emancipated into foster care. Her family pretty much blames you know her, but it wasn't her; it was someone else. Now I'm hearing some background noise, although I've got my encased earphones, so if you're hearing some background noise, my apologies. Like I said, I got a neighbor that has some issues, so. That may or may not be them, but it could be completely unrelated to me. I'll assume that. We all know Pamela, don't we? And Pamela has been this person that has been saturated and represented in a particular way by particular people who are exploiting her. One of the episode in the episode with Pamela, there's a section where Jay Leno and her are talking, and they show several snippets of her interviews with him. There's at least half a dozen different interviews because she was quite popular on the talk show way back when, you know. And then get this. So, you know, she sits on stage and he's making fun of her about the sex tape. And she says, you know, um, Pamela Lee and Tommy Lee had a sex tape and um, it was stolen from them against their consent. Then it was published and people made millions of dollars off it without their consent. And uh, she tried to sue them. Her lawyers, they just said, you know, it was a losing battle. And also she was emotionally distraught by this in some ways. And so she let it go. After the, there was a recent series called Tommy and Pammy. Seth Rogen was in it and Pamela was just sitting there looking at that. And she was so smart. She was so smart. She did this Instagram. It was either a Twitter or an Instagram post. And she had a piece of Netflix paper, like a post-it note that had the Netflix logo on it. And she wrote this note saying something like, well, there's a lot of people telling my story. Although, Hey, Netflix, 
maybe we could do a documentary together from my voice telling my story. Something along that lines. I'm paraphrasing. And then she put a little heart on it, said Pamela. And then about a year later, here we are. Now, if you've seen the reviews on this documentary, it's got like a 95 to 100% positive review on Rotten Tomatoes. And I've learned some things about her. She and I may not be the people who are going to hang out or read philosophers together. She's a quite an intelligent woman, uh, you know, in her own distinct way. We just have different vibes or, uh, well, we, we maybe had different contexts or skill sets. You know what I mean? She was so exploited. And, you know, here she is sitting on her, she's sitting on her couch in this video. She doesn't have any makeup on. She's still strikingly beautiful. And she's talking about, um, you know, I was humiliated. I didn't want that. They offered us $5 million to let him sell it. And I said, no, give my tape back. You stole that from us. It was an illegal act. I've got that out there. I really appreciated her honesty and her openness. You see her adult sons. One of her sons is a striking, I mean, one of her sons is like just a spitting image of Tommy Lee. I mean, it's really wild when you see him moving around and talking. You're like going, you look just like him. My family used to tell me that all the time because I'm like my dad. Of the four of us, I'm the most like my dad. And he's not a very good person. So I had a lot of mixed signals growing up going, because they'd be looking at me going, she's just like him. It's eerie. It's uncanny. She moves just like him. And I, I didn't know who the hell they were talking about. It's just somebody who stole stuff or wasn't honest and cheated on my mama. And I was like, I don't want to look like that guy. Anyway, please check out the video. There was an awareness I came to that really struck a chord for me that helped me to understand my mama Darlene a little bit. And here's how it's going to go. I'm going to share this for, with you first. Okay. My mama was married six times, six times. That being the case, she was 16, 17 when she met my father and they divorced at 32 after he gave my sister gonorrhea when she was nine. It was either my father or my uncle because my father and my uncle were sleeping with the same woman who gave them both gonorrhea. And then my father gave my mother gonorrhea and then my sister got gonorrhea at nine. And she had the strength of will and the character to pack us all up and save us, or at least try, you know, to take, be responsible, unlike others, right? So, but she was 32. She spent half her life with him by the time, as a mother with four kids and pretty much carrying a lot of it, you know, giving him the freedom and a culture that gave men the freedom to do that, what they, and the horrific stuff. And there's lots of men doing that and everybody seems just fine with it, right? And I'm not, so I'm talking about it, right? My mother married several times and she was very self-conscious of it. And it was the butt of the joke. It was about, I remember making jokes with her and saying, oh, well, you know, maybe we could choose from one of your husbands. <laughs> you know, and the thing was, I didn't really realize it. Culturally, we did it. But the thing is, mom would respond really strongly. She was very ashamed of it. Very ashamed of it. And she was told to be ashamed of it. She was told she was a whore. She was told all kinds of things. Her character was assassinated because she was doing the right thing. You know, and, I, and she should have got partial credit for the first 15 years she spent with my dad. And my, my God, that man, I, I mean, what were the things he'd done? Pamela, Pamela was talking on her documentary this week. And she said she was sitting on the couch talking about, she really talks about how Tommy and she, that was the love of her life. And she said, I wouldn't choose to be with him now. That being the case, that was the love of my life, you know, and you can see it in the kids. And then she kind of got quiet. She said, I don't think I ever really got over losing the father of my children in that marriage. And I was heavily invested in that marriage. And I wanted to have a complete family union. I wanted my husband and my children. And I put in so much work and it failed. And yeah, I've been married several times. Although I don't think I ever got over the fact that our family, the, the father of my children, 
I wasn't with the father of my children and my family. And it, it's been devastating to me. And she kind of talked about the complexity of that feelings with the way that a deep heart might, you know, here she's talking about this, how getting separated and having that marriage fail and understanding it was the right thing to do, although still loving that person. I related to that and I started thinking about my mother. My mother maintained a contact with my father even after they broke up every once in a while. It was sporadic, it was rare, and it was him walking into town, strutting into town, leaving me to rot in a foster home for two years, not giving me a phone call, then showing up at my high school graduation to take credit. That's a common move for a bad dad. <laughs> I met a man a couple years ago. He was a rugby player. So I remember seeing some pictures from his kids and psychically I heard this, that's what like your dad did to you. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I, then I ended, I ceased con I stopped dating that person because it was like this. And I, as I got to know him, he'd moved to another state to avoid, he didn't tell me this directly, but I found some notices when we were dating and I was like, these are child, uh, payment. You should be making support payments and he's not. And then he moved to a different state. And I was like, he was kind of living under the, and I was like, Oh, now I get it. But the thing that I kind of grabbed from this whole thing, I'll kind of round out with Pamela. Um, because, you know, there are women that were in their sexuality, you know, mom was more conservative, certainly. But I think that losing that relationship with the father of her children was devastating to her. And she was always criticized for marrying several times. My, my father never was, right? So I guess I felt a little more understanding for mom. And check out that, please check out that documentary on Netflix, Pamela. I've, I really appreciated hearing her voice. And um, yeah, who's making money off of who? Think about that next time you listen to a story. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to these awarenesses and my love for my mama and thinking about understanding her better. It felt so good thinking about the house on Valencia Street thriving with young people and LGBT people and people doing art. There's all kinds of ways to create new things, even in your own mind or heart, right? Thank you for coming to the house on Valencia Street tonight. I want you to know you're never alone. <laughs> you ain't never gonna be alone. No, not here at the house on Valencia Street. Sometimes it's a, whether you like it or not, <laughs>